And the final question of this series of questions is, both of you are wearing the same color. I suppose this was one or two episodes ago. Yeah. Is this a dress code uh, in Hacksoft? Teddy told us to wear something different than black and blue in order to distinguish ourselves from the yes. background. <laughs> so our colorful um, our wardrobe yeah. Yeah, is offers orange, orange <laughs> and uh, uh, so sometimes green. And sometimes green, yeah. I, you, you are the green. Uh, you're the green guy. Uh, but yeah, it's it was a coincidence, and right. And for today, we actually synced. Yeah. Not to wear the same color. All right. Welcome, everyone, to uh, Hackcast Season 2, Episode number 10. This is going to be uh, the season finale, meaning this is going to be the last episode for the season. We are here again. Ivo? Ivo is here again. Ivo is here again. Rado is here again. And for the last episode of the season, we have prepared something very, very special for you. As announced, we uh, managed to collect quite a lot of questions and we are just going to go one by one and uh, just answer the questions that you have. That's why we are a bit old school with printed paper and pens. I think we have, uh, this is from uh, the last uh, the last HackConf, is yeah, it? It is, it is. There, there the is clip? A, yeah, the clip and there is a HackConf Panda sticker yeah. at the back. And we have some uh, unused uh, pens uh, from uh, uh, from previous hack hack comps uh, from sponsors. So we managed to uh, print some paper and get all the questions here. And of course, at the end of the episode, we're going to announce something very very special because uh, Hacksoft is turning nine in February, and we're nine going to do something old, yeah, yeah something special about it. So. Uh, do you want to start right away with the questions or do you want to uh, talk a little bit about season two? How do you feel about it? I will start, right, I will start with the questions because there are some, some questions about season two, season three. All right, all right. So let's dive in. Okay, so uh, the way we're going to do it is I'm going to read the question and then we're going to uh, basically discuss it if we can provide some answer. Uh, answers and in the edits in the video, uh, Teddy is going to put somewhere around here a screenshot of the original question. So we're just going to read the question. We don't have names. We don't have so we don't have images here. Okay. So it's just going to be the question, and we're going uh, channel by channel. First questions from YouTube, then from LinkedIn, and then from Instagram. And the first question comes from YouTube, and it's uh, it's something that we've already answered on YouTube. And actually, YouTube uh, decided that our answer is not following the guidelines and just uh, blocked the the reply for sixty days. But then we oh, re no. re re replied again. Okay. And the question is about uh, DDD, which is Domain Driven Design, and Django. And it's basically. Uh, should I use DDD with Django? Is it an overkill? And how can one convince a architect not to follow DDD, but rather something else? Mm -hmm. And the, the the answer here, like there, there are a couple of answers here. For sure, if you try to follow DDD with Django, it's going to be an overkill. This mm -hmm. is something that comes from Java land from Spring, mm -hmm. and uh, at least in my opinion, involves a lot of rituals. It's very strict on uh, where to put things, how to name things, and how things should communicate. Um, Which is a good other. thing to be strict with these things. Yeah, but it's way stricter. It's okay. like you have zero to no, like no flexibility. All right. And just following this ritual, uh, I call it a ritual. Mm -hmm. 
uh, is, is going to increase your development time and uh -huh. development complexity and onboarding time and onboarding complexity because if you simply follow the, our Django style guide, which is also kind of strict about certain things, but it's also quite pragmatic and it gives you quite a lot of flexibility. It says, all right, just separate your business logic. We call it the service layer, but then how you do it, it's up to you. And uh, things that should belong together should be together, mm -hmm. which is not the same in DDD. It's like okay. spread it all, all over the place. And uh, for me, the, the biggest problems are increased development time. Mm -hmm. And if this, is not, if this is not a problem, then it's going to be really hard to onboard new people because they need to first learn everything around DDD okay. and then start navigating around the code base and uh, solving problems and writing features and just being productive. Okay. okay. Which I must say for our Django style guide, it's really fast to onboard someone because it's really easy to point here is the code. Mm -hmm. Just go and start edit the codes. Here are the tests and just make sure you're not breaking anything. All right. But... There, there is one, one, one more bullet point in the question. How to convince our architect, our team lead, to follow the Django style guide instead of doing DDD? Yeah, that, that's a good question. And I think it's really hard to convince someone that has already made his or her mind. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Uh, if the architect wants to, to do DDD, then it's going to be DDD. But the best argument is increased development time, okay. which means things are going to be delivered slower. Mm -hmm. And most probably you're going to need more people on the team just to handle the, the increased complexity of following DDD. All right. Yeah. I would say that keep in mind that if the whole team is doing DDD and, yep. for example, if they're coming with some kind of, some kind of Java background, yep. having consistency all over the project is, is a solid point. Yeah. So probably the architect is going to be, uh, okay, but everyone knows DDD, so we don't really want to switch to something else because yep. it works for us. And I think a good way to, to consider someone is just to try it out, just to have some small piece of yeah. functionality following our style guide, let's say, or some different pattern just to illustrate the idea. And then you can have a solid conversation yeah. on top of something that is already there. And just keep it simple, I would say. And just keep it simple. Uh, I highly recommend uh, the talk on DDD and Django from last year's DjangoCon. Okay. It was a really good talk. It's on YouTube. So if you just uh, Google or YouTube search uh, Django DDD DjangoCon, is going to show as the first result. And then um, the speaker makes a really um, good case of what does it mean, wh what's included, what are the pros, what are the cons. I right. think mm -hmm. that's about the, the first question. We've or we've actually answered this uh, as a comment with links, and I think we can just cross. Check. Yeah, we can cross it. All right. Next question from YouTube: How do you hire Django developers? Traditional Q and A, problem solving, or live coding type of interview? All right. So our process is pretty straightforward. We have a full screening, and then we are sending a task. Yep. And the uh, people week in the interview uh, has like 10 days in order to uh, submit a solution back. Yep. The solution uh, should be uh, Django-based when it comes to Django development. And then we are having technical interview 
on top of the solution that the uh, yeah. that the um, person provided. So we are talking about the solution itself. We are talking, hey, share a screen, jump into the code, and let's start a conversation based on that. Yeah, and whatever is included in the solution, we ask questions about this. Yes. Usually uh, starting with things from Django like models and uh, APIs and stuff like this, but then if there's something else, we, o we always ask questions about the code that is in your solution. And this, the, the problem itself that we sent is basically, here's a Figma design. Mm -hmm. Here are some rough requirements. It's up to you to build a backend that will solve those requirements for this design. Yes. If you have questions, please ask them. That's about it. Mm -hmm. We avoid live coding on the interview, yeah. mainly because people are nervous and yeah. live coding while someone is watching at your screen is normally not something that... Um, you can you can do easily without any preparation. Yeah. Uh, so this is how we hire Django developers. And then the follow-up question is, at a company level, how do you guys manage getting new clients since you are all developers first and then heads of business units? So basically, how, how do we get new clients? That's a true statement. We are a developer first. Yes. <laughs> so... Which sometimes comes as a shock to, to, to new clients, but I think it's it's a great plus. Well, yeah, clients are used to speak with salespeople, yep. with people that do not write code and they do, do not really understand what developers are doing. So it makes it a little bit easier that we know everything about the development process. Uh, but I think you can share some more information on how we actually find the clients. And Yeah, that's uh, for sure we're going to have a future um, Hackcast episode on that topic, perhaps okay. a couple. Uh, but we are software developers. We are problem solvers mm -hmm. by heart. And we had to learn how to do uh, the business things like mm -hmm. sales and marketing. And getting new clients was always the challenge. And for, for now, right now, we, we are establishing some kind of a process where we have active sales and marketing and branding process that's going to help us. Mm -hmm. Uh, get new clients, but usually clients find us uh, via they have watched something on YouTube, they like what they hear, mm -hmm. they send an email, and then we start talking. So those are the clients that have, uh, for example, existing projects that yeah. are an, in a really bad state, mm -hmm. and then they come to us uh, so we can rescue them. Yes. And we actually do rescue them. We, we have like three clients so far mm -hmm. with that scenario. And we are really good at this. Mm -hmm. Really good at just jumping in and figuring out how to salvage everything, how to establish a proper development process, establish rhythm, and then carry on. Mm -hmm. So this is one of the ways. And the, uh, the other more general way of finding new clients is since we, we had some clients from our very beginning, yeah. which were more or less luck mm -hmm. just yeah just i would agree with luck, this, yeah pure, pure luck, luck yeah. yeah then uh once we establish uh, good communication good connection with them we just ask for referrals yeah we ask for recommendations and this is how we get so far new business and it's not it's not very sustainable for sure mm -hmm. and that's why we have finally started paying way more attention and getting much better at this and actually establishing a proper sales process that's true. That's true. And uh, yeah, we will cover this. It's going to be an interesting topic in future podcast episode. Okay. Nice. All right. So this is done. All right. I think this is going to be a, a long episode. <laughs> <laughs> what is like when Django gets unchained? Hmm. 
<laughs> in, in order, <laughs> this is this is an abstract one. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, when Django gets unchained, let's let's put it in a software perspective. You you actually deliver, and you deliver uh, with with good speed. I would agree with this. Yeah, Django. For me, Django is all about productivity. Mm -hmm. And when it gets unchained, I understand this as when you really know how to use it and know how to build big things with it. Yeah. This is, in my opinion, the the power of Django that when you know the framework good enough and you're not doing the generic stuff, but you try to do something yeah. more, more domain specific with heavy business logic. That's the point where Django gets unchained. Yeah. And using Django, you just get a really productive productive flow. And it's working. It gets unchained when you feel comfortable with it and with it, and you can move fast. Yes. Uh, without actually compromising uh, quality or, or, or things like this. Absolutely. Yeah. All right. Next question. Since season two is ending with episode number ten, this is true. This is episode number ten. Yes. We are ending season two. Yeah, this is true. What are the plans for season three? Um, the plans are to make season three. Yeah, there is going to be a season three. Uh, with 10 episodes. For With 10 episodes, yeah. <laughs> uh, because 10 is a nice number. Yeah. <laughs> and, and having season. So the general idea of having seasons for Hackcast is that it gives us a framework uh, where we can, for example, for season three, experiment with certain topics mm -hmm. and see what are the results and see how we feel about it and then start clean again with season four. So oh, right. it's, basically, it's basically it's uh, basically giving us the ability to focus on something. So, for example, after we are done with this episode and it's released, we're going to get together uh, and we're going to discuss season two, and then we're going to discuss what do we want to do about season three, what do we want to do about season four. So, yeah, there's going to be season three, there's going to be season four, and as long as we can, as long as we can keep making hackcast, there's going to be hackcast. With slight variance, with some changes, but uh, that's the idea. And this whole thing is giving us structure, yeah. which is something that we that we love as software developers. So yeah. seasons, yeah. episodes. Yeah. All right. You share the recap of 2022, which is great. Can you share what are your plans for 2023? Or is it something you plan for Hackcast Season 3? That's a good question. It seems like a nice topic for the upcoming Hackcast season. Yes. So just just yesterday we had a company update, internal mm -hmm. company update, where we talked about some of the things that we we want to focus on 2023, and it was like an hour and something like 10, 10 to fifteen minutes long. Yeah, so more yeah, yeah uh, I think we should do this at some point in season three and share our vision for twenty twenty three. But the thing is, last year was pretty good because we finally matured, mm -hmm. we finally became uh, how to say stable enough. And we finally started doing things that we need to, to be doing as, as a business because software, we're pretty good at it and we're getting better. Yeah. But we needed to, we, we had to improve a lot of things across the company and we are continuing this uh, over 2023. But it's a long topic. Yeah, we, we will put it in a Hackcast episode. We promise. We promise. All right. Next one. Also... Do you plan to introduce more people from inside the company? I, I suppose this is for, for Hackcast. Uh, I don't think we we have like certain plans for this, but it would be nice. And uh, I guess in season three, we are going to do this. I think 
the short answer is yes. We already have a third microphone and a third headset. Yeah, we already have a third microphone and a third headset, and we already have ideas to bring people from inside the company, mm -hmm. uh, like we did with Common. But most pro oh wow, most probably it's going to be uh, most probably it's going to be season four. All right. So the short answer is yes. So stay tuned and make sure to subscribe. <laughs> That's the only way to to see the people from inside the company. And uh, for us, it's easy to just uh, come here and uh, and record. For most people, they will need some prep time just to feel confident. And we want to be sure that we give them this prep time. So short answer, yes. Most probably season four. Next one. Oh, wow. This one is a long, long one. one. Yeah. So let me try rephrasing it and you will be the, the one answering right. it. Uh, this is a follow-up on our Django deployment uh, episode. Mm -hmm. And the first question is, isn't it better to just use Kubernetes um, because it's platform agnostic? Let's start with this one. I would say that if you are uh, right now to choose a path, go uh, ECS, Elastic Container Service, AWS ECS, or Kubernetes, uh, I would say start with Kubernetes first. All right, because it is true, you are not vendor locking yourself with only one cloud provider. Although in many cases, this is not really a valid point because AWS is here and it's going to, to, to be here for a long time. But, but Kubernetes, I would say, is almost the same as ECS without the vendor lock. And this is definitely a plus. All right. And then the, the follow-up question is, so do, do, I, do, I, do I get this right? Docker helps you uh, kind of abstract the application and the various things that your application uses. Like yes. Database, it messages, helps you, It helps so you so bundle forth. your software with everything needed in there in order to work. That's Docker. That's then, Docker. Then Kubernetes is like one level on top of it, but for the infrastructure yes. things. Yeah, so you have your project dockerized. You have all yeah. the software needed in order for your project to work in, in, in containers, but you need something to spin on these containers and make them work, Okay. Right? The, whole, the whole infrastructure. And the Elastic Container Service is doing this for you. Okay, yeah. Uh, but but uh, uh, it is coupled with the AWS stack yeah. only. And Kubernetes is almost the same thing, almost the same thing, but for many different uh, cloud providers. Yeah, okay, fine. I think I, I get it now. So the next question is, uh, as a backend developer, I don't like DevOps stuff that much. So as I move forward towards the senior level, will, will I have to learn AWS? That's basically the gist of the question. If you, you are a backend developer, you don't like DevOps that much. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Do you need, like, with a higher percentage of certainty to fiddle and deal with AWS. Okay, I would say I would say that if you're working in a bigger team, you most probably have the dedicated DevOps people and your company structure is done in such a way that you're most probably not even going to get to the servers anyway. So if you're kind of afraid of DevOps work, then big companies are for you. Yeah. However, however, it would definitely help you to be a better backend developer if you understand how your application is working on the server, how it's getting deployed, how it's getting built, every single step of the software development process, if you understand it, you will become a better backend developer. So you don't have to learn it, but it will definitely be better for you if you do. 
All right, I, I, I like the sensor. I like the sensor a lot. And the only thing that I want to add to it is there's this thing. I don't like DevOps stuff that much. My my suggestion would be to explore why mm -hmm, mm -hmm. you don't like DevOps that much and perhaps while exploring this and finding the answers and the root cause, it may be the case that you will actually like DevOps. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Because sometimes people have some preconceived notion that they don't like something and it's a good idea to understand why. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And if it's still, I don't like DevOps, then it's fair enough. Okay. All right. And the last question, uh, oh, there are more. <laughs> <laughs> so I want to host uh, my blog website, which uses Django. It's going to have 1K users per month. Should I deploy it on Heroku or should I use a VPC? VPS, like a... Uh, Virtual private server. Virtu yeah. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Well, uh, when it... Heroku are dropping all their free plans. So if you have a small website that uh, has not a lot of traffic, Right now, you cannot use any free free plan. So you're you're looking at seven dollars for the Dino and one dollar for they have one dollar database. Okay, one dollar database. You're looking around seven to $10. eight ten dollars. Yeah, which is you can get a, v, a virtual private server for cheaper, and and, and when you like five dollars, four dollars, something yeah. like that. But but I would say that if you're looking to uh, understand how to set up a Django on a VPS, then go mm. on a VPS. If you don't really want to waste a lot of time on this, always go to uh, Heroku. Yeah, my, my I tend to agree. My, my answer is going to be, if you like to learn uh, setting things on VPS, then do mm -hmm. it like this, because this is your own personal projects, uh, project, and sometimes those kind of projects are great to experiment. Absolutely. So just go ahead and uh, just use VPA, VPA, VPS. Mm -hmm. If you want to uh, like start actually blogging as soon as possible and you have your uh, project ready, just use Heroku. Mm -hmm. or, and if you really want to start blogging as soon as possible and then the technology does not matter, then just use some of the uh, ready-to-go blogging platforms yes. like Ghost or WordPress or mm -hmm. something like this. Mm -hmm. Just cut out the things that you don't need and if you want to start blogging, start blogging right away. If you want to experiment with Django, experiment with Django. If you want to experiment deploying on a VPS, do that. Yeah. And right. yeah, keep in mind the cost difference too. I mean, it's not going to be a huge difference, so. All right, page one down. It's really good. It's really good. Ooh. I also have some memes. We also have some memes. <laughs> mm -hmm. Do you know we post a lot of memes on Instagram and TikTok? We have Instagram accounts. We have TikTok accounts. And yeah, they're going to show some someplace here. So we also have memes. Make sure to follow us there. So I, ha I have seen some memes where a startup holds their web app on their own laptop, called that server, up to how long we can self-host because I have zero knowledge on this. You cannot self-host in any way. <laughs> I mean, um, if you have a dedicated uh, server, yeah. server room with server equipment, main problems with self-hosting is power in uh, buildings yes. get down really often and internet gets down really often yes and even though you can pretty much get an old laptop and it's going to be enough for hosting almost any time of starter django application any time of starter job yeah, application yeah. yeah any type uh it is it is not going to be really efficient in terms of electricity and uh, being down like a lot really often so y yeah you have to take care like of your own data center yes 
Or if you're talking about something like, let's say we have a server in the office and sometimes you would like to test things there because mm. it is way cheaper than renting, let's say, uh, some, yeah. something powerful on, on AWS. And if it is not mission critical, let's say it is some it, it is a build that runs at night and if it does not build, it's, it, it, it's okay. Someone is going to trigger it manually yeah. during the day. That's fine. But if you are talking about hosting something on production that needs to be online all the time, self-hosting is definitely not an option when it comes to uh, hosting something in a residential building or something. Yeah. Uh, you can do it if you have someone taking care of it. You can do it. Uh, for example, I can for sure host something on my uh, new laptop because it's... Uh, beefy. It's beefy, yeah. But uh, again, there are better ways of doing this. And the final question of this series of questions is, both of you are wearing the same color. I suppose this was one or two episodes ago. Yeah. Is this a dress code uh, in Hacksoft? Teddy told us to wear something different than black and blue in order to distinguish ourselves from the yes. background. <laughs> so our colorful um, our wardrobe yeah. Yeah, is offers orange, orange <laughs> and uh, uh, so sometimes green. And sometimes green, yeah. I, you, you are the green. Uh, you're the green guy. Uh, but yeah, it's it was a coincidence, and right. And for today, we actually synced. Yeah. Not to wear the same color because it, it was it was odd that's why i'm with with a shirt because yeah yeah <laughs> my my <laughs> my only clothes that were okay were orange so i decided to <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah the you know we need we need more we need we need more clothes but we, we do in due time yeah all right next next question what kind of projects are developed and delivered at hacksoft and there are like three follow-up questions after this Ah, what types of projects? What types of projects? What kind of projects? Yes, we mostly have uh, web-based projects. Yes, in terms of the software is an actual system that you can access on the internet, with some kind of web-based interface. Yes, and some business logic on the back end, mostly mostly written in Django. Yes, uh, for the front end. Next, next, React and mobile, of course. Yeah, React Native. React Native. Uh, and that's basically that's basically it. We have some uh, how we call them dedicated device that we have softwares for them and some embedded stuff. But this yeah. is not the uh, the usual case. The usual case. Yeah, yeah I, I would say uh, as a company as Hacksoft, we aim to do end-to-end -end software development projects. Meaning, if we if we can take care of more stuff, then we are happy mm -hmm. uh, because we like to uh, have the responsibility and be involved in the entire process yeah uh, this is where this is where our strengths are and this is where we shine and the, usually uh, a software project involves uh, some kind of a of a website mm -hmm. usually there is a marketing website there's like an app yeah and this app and marketing websites are usually built around react and next usually there is a backend that's usually django mm -hmm. sometimes next we discussed this on the headless and serverless episode Sometimes there are more than one backends, mm -hmm. like there's some kind of a service-oriented architecture, uh, and usually behind behind the backend there's some kind of back office. That depends, like uh, a lot of options there. Sometimes Django, sometimes custom built, sometimes a third-party service, and then you usually have uh, your infrastructure, your data layer, your ETL, where you transform data, where you do calculations, where you cache stuff, 
Uh, usually there is a mobile app. So all of those things is uh, what we develop and what we deliver at Hacksoft. Yeah. Yeah. That's true. Yeah. Since you guys are using Django for a long time, what's the main selling point to choose Django at the first place? For me, it's productivity. It is it is Django has all the tools in place when when it comes to software development or web application. So all the little utilities, all the big abstractions, everything that you need is there. And every time I'm building something that every time I'm building something and I'm not using Django, mm. I struggle a lot because I realize how much I need those tools. Yeah. And we have an entire episode about this where we discuss it at length. Uh, that is going to be to place it some so, someplace here uh, that you can listen about our reasoning uh, for using Django, and I tend to agree with your arguments. Was there any situation that you guys felt like ah, I wish there was a better solution while developing something with Django? Hmm. Uh, this is easy for me. Every time we do templates with Django, every time we do templates with Django, it's like oh, this is. Not good. <laughs> I want my proper front-end tools. I want my React, yeah. Uh, I can think of a lot of situations uh, that um, I was not using Django and I was and I wish I used Django. Yes. But while using Django, a lot of projects come by that are using generic. I mean, when we have a client yeah. with, with already existing project, yeah. Like almost all the projects that we uh, come by is mm, are using uh, generics, yeah, generics, uh, routers for for the URLs, yeah. and I wish that the documentation of Django and Django REST framework was not leading you so easily to jump into those things because <laughs> they're like pushing you to use them, saying, "Hey, look at yeah. look with only four lines of code, you can achieve this, this, and that," but normally you don't need to use those things. Yes, uh, I suppose whenever we inherit a Django project that's in a bad state, mm -hmm. it's you, you can say to yourself, "Oh, we there there are better solutions from the current state to where we want to go." Mm -hmm. But uh, we we got better at improving the general situation and making it work, even with something that was that was a complete mess. Mm -hmm. I can think of something that Django can yeah. improve a little, improve a little, yeah. and this is the the Django admin. It is great. It is. It comes for free. You can build like uh, a lot okay. of backend tools, and almost all of our clients are using the Django admin in order at least to read only yeah. what what the situation in the data. But it looks a little 2012, I would say. <laughs> it may be looking a little bit better yeah. in terms of visuals, because some of our clients that don't really know that this is the Django admin, mm. they think of the Django admin as something that we built. Yeah, and if I was, if if I were a client, I would be like, it works, it's great, but at least the colors, at least the, yeah, yeah, the, yeah. the look and feel can be can be a little bit improved. Well, you, you can you can theme it a bit. You can change some of the car colors, and yes, I, I think we are we we got better at uh, explicitly communicating that this is uh, our back office for the time being, but it's not going to be our back office like forever. Yeah, but the thing is that some clients are, are, are using it almost forever. I mean, it is so good in terms it of functionality. Yeah, it, it is so good in terms of functionality that it sticks there for for a long time. Yeah. And if it looks a little bit better, it will be nice. But it, it gets the job done. Yeah, for sure, for sure. Yeah. All right. And the last question from this uh, thread. Since the fast API is growing so rapidly, 
What do you guys think future, the future holds for Django? I don't see fast API as a competitor to Django in, in, in any way for now. Okay. I see fast API as a competitor to Flask. Flask, yeah. Yeah. Because uh, every time that you know that you're going to build a solid software, you're certainly going to Django. Every time you need something to build an one API, two API, something really small, you're not going to Django either way. So I don't see that fast API is getting some market share for, for Django in any way. I think it's going I think it's going to get some market share because it's it's the new thing and it's uh, for sure growing rapidly and it does not have all that legacy that Django has and so it can move faster. All right. That that's that's an important point but uh, at least how I think about it. So I can start with fast API, no problems. And if I want to grow and have more stable and mature software, I'm going to get the tools that that fast API provides and SQL Alchemy and move towards something that resembles Django. And that I think that's going to be fine. It's not going to be Django, but I, I will. I know that I'm going to move towards something that resembles Django and vice versa. I can get Django. Uh, it now has async support for, for views, yes. for APIs. And I can trim it down and I can strip it and move towards something that resembles more uh, resembles fast API. And I know I can do both. Uh, for us, Django is comfort, but I think you can basically achieve the same result with both frameworks. There are going to be various struggles, but... Uh, Flask for sure is going to get its uh, share of the pie taken away with Fast API, but Django some part of the pie, but not not the whole pie. I think that trimming down Django to become something more lightweight is way easier than building on top of Fast API in order. If to you know what you're doing, okay, I can agree with this, yeah. but um, but um, building on top of Fast API, you have a lot of things to build in order to. Uh, at to to do something that at least looks like Django yeah. in terms of developer experience, but I think both both are valid cases, and we'll see. We'll see. Just try setting up your ORM with some kind of migration framework on Fast API. <laughs> you know, you will lose a couple of days. Yeah, at least most, most probably. Days, most most probably, probably. Yeah, and you that's the point where you realize how good Django is for for those things. And the ORM and the migrations layer. Yeah. Yes. Uh, okay. We continue. So those are all the questions from YouTube. We now go to questions from LinkedIn. In the next episode, talk about jazz band community because they are doing a great job. Uh, so I was not familiar with the jazz band community. Neither. I know that we are using some of their uh, some of the packages that they are supporting. So I suppose it's a good idea to actually look at it and um, talk about them in a future episode. I agree. I mean, do you know which which packages we are using from from there or what what was it? Don't do maths on stream. <laughs> <laughs> all right, all right. Yeah, um, we're going to talk about it. Uh, the question is included, but uh, sounds interesting. Yeah, yeah, we need to pay attention. Mm -hmm. Perhaps. Yeah, yeah. Next one. Dis discuss the best way to manage settings file for different environments in Django. Something like this. The best way to manage settings for different environments. Okay. Oh wow. Um, using Django. Okay, we have pretty pretty big section in Django style guide about yeah. this. 
in StyleGuide example. In the StyleGuide example project, yeah. Uh, what we do, of course, keep secrets in environment variables. Yeah. Really important thing. Never keep secrets in the code base. Uh, and spread the and split the settings into production, local for local development, and some kind of base settings. And then you can split them as much as you want in different files, have different structures. But what Django allows you is to have different setting files for different environments, because uh, normally you need different production settings for the, your production environment and different local settings for your local environment. We we even have settings file for running tests, because some of the yeah. some of the settings needs to be different while you are running your test in order to achieve better performance. Yeah, but. That's my two cents. Just, just, just read the um, Django style guide on how we do it, and there is a pretty good reasoning why we are doing this way. Yeah, uh, I have a bit of a strong opinion here. So for sure, on higher level, split Django settings, third party, third party settings. Django settings is everything Django related. Third party settings you can then split by module, uh, AWS, Sentry, Celery, whatever you need. Just keep it separate from Django settings, and then include everything in Django settings. This is this is on on top level. Now for for the last I think six months, I'm not a fan of splitting uh, local and production. I'm kind of thinking this is not needed at all. You can just have a single base uh, settings file and then be smart with uh, just follow a basic strategy pattern whenever you need a different type of setting, rather control it through an environment variable than just have it on on, on production. So. And, and for Django, there are like some settings that you need a production.py, uh, like the security settings. You mm -hmm. kind of want to put them in a production, but mm -hmm. nothing more than that, I would say. So you can have base and you can have production. I'd say local is uh, not needed at all. You don't need local. You want yeah, you need base. Yeah. You you want to be running as close to production as possible, even locally, mm -hmm. and control and control whatever you need from environment variables. And then perhaps I will just replace local with test for the reason that you mentioned, because mm -hmm. you want to change some settings for, for, for your test so they can run faster. Mm -hmm. And the same applies for requirements. Uh, so far, I see only reason for a base requirements and test requirements. No need to split to local and no need to split to production. But uh, this will this will at some point come to... The style guide example, there are some pending pull requests with some thoughts around this. Uh, but yeah, we will follow up on this. All right. All right. And next question. Do you plan filming Hackcast Season 3? Yes, we yes. do, as you already <laughs> mentioned. Uh, discussing different ways of deploying a Django app might be interesting. It is interesting indeed, and you can watch an entire episode about it over here. Uh, we talked at length about the different options of deploying Django, so we're not going to go there again. Mm -hmm. All right, and now we have five more questions from Instagram and then the special announcement. All right. All right. Let's read questions from Instagram. What piece of tech are you most excited about right now? I'm the kind of person that easily gets excited about different things. So I'm really excited around the... Um, direction that Next.js as, right. as a framework is going through. Um, really excited. Not sure if it's a tech, but I would say that uh, the new things that uh, are already here in terms of AI yep. and how it helps us actually do our jobs better. Yep. Uh, what else? I'm always excited about uh, infrastructure and servers. 
Yeah. So everything that AWS announced as new service, um, I'm already there looking at how it works and if we can use it or not. And what else? What else? Django async is something that really gets me excited. Yep. That's everything that I can that I, everything that I can uh, think of for now. Yeah. Uh, I'll, I'll be I'll be pragmatic and uh, I'm quite excited uh, uh, with all things coming from Next and Vercel because it helps us a lot mm -hmm. build better fit solutions for our clients. Mm -hmm. Next question: Text editors of choice. Why? Hmm. It's a hard topic for me. <laughs> Why? I was using Vim for a lot of time. And then I started to write a lot of TypeScript. And I was, you know, I don't really have the time to upgrade my Vim so I can properly write TypeScript right now because I was in a hurry. And I tried VS Code. And VS Code is fine. It is? <laughs> it works and it get the job done without yep. too much of a hustle. However, every time I need to write something that is not JavaScript or TypeScript, and um, I, I have some time, <laughs> I'm always getting back to my uh, Vim. Uh, during the holidays, I managed to migrate it to new Vim. All right. Uh, of course, not everything works as <laughs> I would course. like to. Yeah. I would like to. Uh, still don't have the time to figure it out. And yeah, so my editor of choice is always Vim. Yep. However, I use VS Code a lot because I don't have the time for dealing with Vim all the time. Mostly <laughs> mostly for TypeScript, mm -hmm. but yeah, mm -hmm. VS Code is VS Code is, is good. Uh, I'm a Vim user. I'm one of Stefan Konev's disciples uh, yeah. back from the Faculty of Mathematics and Informatics. Uh, before this, I was just using Eclipse for Java. But after this, Vim, and uh, I still struggle with TypeScript in Vim. <laughs> to be honest, I think uh, VS Code has better defo by default experience uh, because Vim you need to in invest some time to mm -hmm. get there. Uh, but that's 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 about it. Like, I'm just used to using Vim. I do, I do note taking in Vim because uh, right. I tried a lot of different web-based applications for, for note-taking, but they're all too slow for my needs, and I need something that, I don't know, just enjoy typing in Vim. And that's why I keep all my notes in, like, a directory on my computer. All and, right. And I use Vim to edit them. And okay. a, a quick comment to sync them to the cloud just in case my, my laptop goes bad. Okay. If, if it works. It works for me a lot. I like it. <laughs> it's interesting. All right. How are you deciding what architecture to follow for a whole project? Well, there is definitely not an algorithm for that in terms of uh, follow these steps and you'll figure out yeah. the architecture. Yeah. Uh, what I would say is that the architecture is a function of a couple of things. It is a function of what is, of course, the project, what are the requirements, what is the team, of course, because there is no one thing fit them all. Yes. Uh, so you constantly need to be aware when the requirements change, when the product is evolving, and when the team is evolving. Uh, it is okay to change architectures and to go to different different yes. ways here and there. It's it's not like one set in stone and you, we never change it. And we are definitely uh, going around the, the the style guide. So when it comes to Django, if yes. we need to take some architectural decision, we are um, having a good conversations around it. 
we are rereading the style guide and trying to figure out what is the best thing we can do for this project, for this team. Yes, uh, so, and I, I will add one more nuance here. Uh, by default, we, for, because there are companies that by default start with microservices, by default, we start monolith based. All the way. And expand with services following the service oriented approach, which is great. And it's not a madness like uh, the microservices approach. Yes. So by default, we always start with a monolith, if possible. And we always start with some kind of proof of concept that gets the job done and we can get to production sooner rather than later. Mm -hmm. I think those are the defaults uh, of our architecture choices that we make. The, and then after this, it's case, case by case. Yes. I'm that guy that always avoids the microservices approach if, yeah. if possible, uh, mainly, mainly because of previous experience. Yeah. Uh, but sometimes this is the, the only thing that can help and it definitely yes. makes sense for certain projects. But you need then, you need the pro like you need more people. It's the same argument as with the DDD. You need more people. You need more people. You need more infrastructure. You yeah. need more, more DevOps. You need a lot of complexity. You add a lot of complexity in the project and the yep. local development, a lot of, but basically there are a lot of downsides, yep. but sometimes this is the only way to go. And the way that we are doing monoliths are with separation of concerns in mind. We, we separate by, by domain and we try to keep things clean. So it's okay. Yes. All right. According to your experience and observation, how many people switch career paths and go into IT? A lot. <laughs> well, uh, how many yeah. assume some kind of of a, of a number to be to be given here? I don't know the numbers, uh, but it seems like on our uh, junior positions when we yep. are doing interviews, there are a lot of people that are switching from uh, some kind of different career part to uh, career path to uh, to being a developer. Yeah. Uh, in Bulgaria, working in software development is one of the better paid jobs mm -hmm. compared to everything else i would agree yeah yeah and there are a lot of academies that prepare people and they basically give you the promise that if uh you are consistent enough and uh, diligent enough uh, you can get there you can mm -hmm. get into it mm -hmm. you can go from the different career to it uh so i would say there are a lot of people trying to switch but i think it's not as easy Definitely not. And I think it's sometimes people start doing this and they expect to have results within six months. Yes. Which is that's really, really true. hard. Yeah. And perhaps the hardest part is to get into the industry, start your first job. Mm -hmm. Because everybody's looking for experience mm -hmm. and mm -hmm. you have no experience. Mm -hmm. And it's really hard to like get past the interview process. For people with some kind of mathematical background, yeah, like architects, engineers, you know, everyone that uh, studied math at, at the university, yeah. it's way easier than for for other people. Yes, which I guess yes. is normal, but but yeah, keep this in mind too. Engineering background makes it easy because you've already been exposed to mathematical thinking and mm -hmm. logical thinking, problem solving. Yeah, yeah and problem solving. All right, the last question from Instagram and the last question generally for this episode. And after this, we're going to make the announcement. Announce. I want to know more details about working as contractors. What's the best and worst onboarding experience? Working as contractors. So this is, this is the outstaffing model. Uh, 
few things to clarify here. So Hacksoft, as software development company, we don't do any kind of outstaffing. And which, what what is outstaffing? We hire people and then we send them with contracts mm -hmm. to other companies and they work for those companies. Yes. And we have like no control over their work, their careers, nothing. Mm -hmm. We're just a mm -hmm. proxy company. They basically have a manager at the company. There. Yes. Which is something that we don't do. This, yeah, we don't do. And the other thing that we don't do is classic outsourcing, which is find a big company, and there are plenty of them here in, in Bulgaria, mm -hmm. and just get all the work from that big company. Mm -hmm. So we are basically an extension of this big company. We don't do outstaffing. We don't do classic outsourcing. We aim for having uh, clients that we can work with directly, and we aim to do end-to-end -end software development. Okay. Is it safe to say that even if we have a client that we are working directly, yeah. uh, we are some kind of contractors for this client? If you if you say that this is the definition of contractors, then yes, I suppose so. So, so it's it's safe to say that we are contractors for all of our clients because we yeah. are not in the company; we are external company with yeah. a contract that is doing the work. Yeah, but then again, what's the best and the worst onboarding experience? Well, usually we don't get onboarded; we get ourselves onboarded. Yes, <laughs> it's 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 quite quite the proactive process. On, on our end, uh, figuring out what needs to be done and starting to address the problems that there are. Mm -hmm. And perhaps the best experience is whenever we have a client with a brand new Greenfield project that comes with Figma. Yes. Figma designs. Mm -hmm. It's really great mm -hmm. to have Figma designs. Yeah. Chef's kiss. <laughs> and perhaps the worst is whenever... It's not like the worst worst because we are doing this, but whenever some someone com uh, comes to us and says, everything is on fire, please help. This is definitely not a pleasant experience. It's not It's not pleasant to onboard, yes. However, we are good at this. Yes. And we are, we, we are keeping the ships alive. Yeah. But I would say that the worst onboarding experience are those projects that are like a side project. And yes. the development, the... Basically, our part is done way faster than the, yes. the the client can handle it. And since this is not the main focus of the client or the or, yes. or the client's company, uh, it is not always a good experience doing this because basically you're done, but the client, let's say, is not ready to launch it and yes, so on. So so yeah, okay, yeah, I think that's uh, yeah, I think that's about it. And of course, before we go to the giveaway announcement. If you happen to be a company and you have some kind of Django-based project that's not going well, write an email to us. We can figure something out. We can help you out. We're pretty good at this. So those were all the questions for episode number 10. Uh, thank you, everyone, because <laughs> we, we expected at most 10 questions for 20, 30 minutes episode. I think we're way past 40 minutes. Teddy? 50. 50. All right, we're a long one. <laughs> going for an hour. Uh, thank you, everyone. This is really appreciated. We're going to do this uh, often enough because we like the questions. Those questions actually also help us think about things mm -hmm. and help us improve things. So uh, thank you about this. And this February, Hacksoft is turning nine. We're going to celebrate our ninth birthday, which is, wow, uh, Like sounds, sounds like a lot. It does. Yeah, it does. And in order, in order to celebrate our birthday, we're going to make a very special birthday giveaway. 
Yes, and it's going to be a giveaway with a focus on YouTube. All right. All right. And the rules to participate are quite simple. You need to basically subscribe to our channel, hit the bell, and make sure that your subscription is public uh, because if it's not public, then we cannot see it on the list and it's, we, we cannot draw you for, for, for the final prize. So the very first thing that you can do about our ninth birthday giveaway is subscribe to our Hacksoft channel and then watch a video that's from 15th of August 2022 onwards, our new videos, uh, because we kind of restarted everything last year in August with, with the vlog from Europython. So watch any of the videos like that video and write a comment underneath that video telling us what you like about it. So basically subscribe, find the video that you like, like it and tell us what do you like about it as a comment. And then at the end of uh, February, 28th of February, when we're going to celebrate our ninth birthday party. Yeah, it's going to, it's going to be a party. <laughs> <laughs> we are going to draw the prices. All right. And of course, since it's our ninth birthday, we're going to have nine prizes. A lot of prizes. <laughs> yeah, a lot of prizes. So uh, effectively, essentially, we're going to give Amazon gift cards uh, uh, at the cost of uh, $50 or 50 euros. We're going to figure out from which Amazon to buy the gift cards that are going to be as close as possible to the winners uh, of this giveaway. Mm -hmm. Because if do you know this? If you buy uh, from Amazon.com, you cannot use it on Amazon.co.uk. Nope, yeah. I don't know this. <laughs> it's it's yeah, it's complicated. So uh, we're going on the 28th of February. We're going to pick the winners, and there is something very 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 special. If we manage to get to a thousand subscribers, that's like a hundred times ten. Okay. With three zeros. Okay. If we manage to get to a thousand subscribers. We're going to give a 10th final prize on top of the nine prizes that we're going to give. And it's going to be a the latest Dust Keyboard Pro 6 or something like this. We really like the Dust Keyboard. Yeah, we're going to show it here. So if we manage to get to 1,000 subscribers before 28th of February, we're going to have a special 10th prize that we're going to pick. And even if we have picked you for one of the first nine prizes, you're still eligible to participate for the 10 prize if we get to 8,000 subscribers. So subscribe, make sure your subscription is public, watch a video from our new videos, like it, comment, what do you like about that video? And you are eligible for the giveaway and we're just going to, perhaps we'll see, is it is it going to be a live stream or something that we record for the drawing? And that's about it. And bring your friends because 1,000 subscribers are a lot. Yeah. And don't subscribe just for the prize. We do good videos. That is here. She's smiling. And we have a lot of things prepared for this year in terms of YouTube. So subscribe because it's good content. That's it. Yeah. End of end of uh, season two. We High can, five. We cannot we cannot participate for the prize, right? Uh, we'll see, Teddy. <laughs> on camera, high five. All right. Thank you for watching and we'll be back for season three.